in chapter 4, and it's just two verses, verses 8 and 9. Let's read them once more together. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I wonder if you know what the connection is between a teacup and what you think. Well, the British Lions rugby team could tell you. They were on a tour of, well, of New Zealand, and Johnny Wilkinson and his teammate Gareth Thomas would have heard the word teacup many times. Now, it's nothing to do with what you drink, okay? Teacup is used by head coach Sir Clive Woodward to train his players and to help keep them focused on what they're doing. And here's what it stands for. Thinking correctly under pressure. Keep up. Don't panic under pressure. Keep the heat. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked this time. The lions were hammered. Obviously, they weren't thinking correctly under pressure. Back in the first century, a man named Paul wrote a letter to a church in Philippi, a church that was under pressure. And here in this letter, Paul wants us to know that what you think about matters. He says, if you're going to be a distinctive Christian, if you're going to be an authentic Christian, and if you're going to be an effective Christian, then how you use your mind matters. Why? Because what we put into our minds determines what comes out in what we do and in what we say. And it's not just in what we say, is it? It's in how we say it. Don Carson writes about what it means to have a healthy Christian mind in his commentary on Philippians. Here's what he says. From God's perspective, the real measure of individuals lies in what they think, not in what they own or how well they deploy their gifts or even in what they do, but in what they think. And he continues. If you think holy thoughts, you will be holy. If you think garbage, you will be garbage. And Paul highlights three steps in what it means to be a distinctive Christian by how we use our minds. Think positively. 
Learn purposefully and live practically. And so firstly, Paul says, think positively. Now to think positively, it means being determined. If you look down at verse 8, Paul writes, Finally, brothers, or in addition, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Have you ever heard the expression, you are what you eat? And what it means is, if you eat healthy foods, like five pieces of fruit and vegetables a day, then it will keep you healthy. But if your diet involves eating a big cream donuts every lunchtime, along with two Mars bars and a pizza, you won't be healthy. I wasn't thinking about Eric when I said that. <laughs> and Paul is saying here, what you feed your mind on matters. It really does. As Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 reminds us, listen to this, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I was thinking during the week that it's a sobering thing to remember that God knows my thoughts. And Paul tells us here in a very practical way how we can think healthily. And the word that Paul uses in verse 8 or think, is the third logismai. And it means to let your mind dwell on. And it's when we get our word logarithms in mathematics. And I wonder what you can tell me about logarithms. All I can recall about logarithms is I had to concentrate. That's all. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, to think about these things, to let your mind dwell on them, requires that same kind of concentration and determination. As we sang this morning, may the minds of Christ my Saviour live in me from day to day, by his love and power controlling all I do and say. And what was the word that Paul keeps repeating here? It's the word whatever. Whatever in its widest sense. And here's why Paul does that. He's saying, look around you. There is a place for looking at and listening to the best of the world in which you live. And measuring whatever that is against God's word. So let's take one example. Global poverty. In recent weeks, many Christians have supported Make Poverty History. And Joe Edwards, a lecturer of Evangelical Alliance, 
explains why Christians did that. Here's what he says. God has an awful lot to say about the moral agenda points with which evangelicals are rightly associated, such as pro-life. And he continues. But we are convinced that care of the poor is a biblical mandate, which means it is the right thing to do. Whatever is good in this world, Paul says, think about such things. And notice, it's here in verse 8 that we find a personal program for for how you can develop a healthy Christian mind. Now last year I joined a gym. I know it must be hard to believe, but I did. And when you join, they first take measurements of your height, your weight, and so on, to hopefully show how fit and healthy you are. And then they give you a personal fitness program to help you get fitter. And that's what we're given here. We're given a checklist. And if you look down, these terms were known in popular moral philosophy, especially among the Stoics. In verse 8, Think about true things, Paul says, not the false. Think about noble things, not the base. Think about whatever is right. Don't dwell on the wrong. Think about whatever is pure, not the sleazy. Think about the lovely, not the disgusting. Think about the admirable, not the despicable. Whatever is excellent, think about it. Get them into your minds. Let them be part of you, Paul says. Last week we saw horrendous pictures on our television and newspapers of the awful scenes in London. And they were anything but noble, right, and lovely. They were the complete opposite, wicked and evil. So what does Paul mean by saying this? Are Christians to live in some kind of goldfish bowl and close their minds to the realities of a fallen world? No, that is not what Paul is saying at all. He is telling us, have your mind so full of what is good that when you see what is bad and evil, you will recognize it for what it is. Don Carson, comments helpful again. This is not some escapist demand to avoid the harsh realities of our fallen world. The sad fact is that many people dwell on dirt without grasping that it is dirt. The wise Christian will see plenty of dirt in the world, but will recognize it as dirt, precisely because everything that is clean has captured his or her mind. 
So thinking positively means to be determined. But it also means to be deliberate. And there is a difference. And notice it's a practical difference. We saw an example of that on Monday. Last week, we saw one of the most spectacular pictures from space in recent years. Comet Temple 1 being hit by the Deep Impact spacecraft, 130 million kilometers out in space. Now, NASA was not all determined in its mission. NASA was also deliberate. How? Because they had thought ahead, planning started six years ago, and they had taken practical steps to make it happen. And that's what it means to have a healthy Christian mind. We are deliberate. We think ahead. And we take practical steps to make it happen. David the psalmist knew that. Remember what he said in Psalm 101. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. Question. What would you say is is our greatest challenge today and what our eyes look at? I guess we probably say the television. Possibly. It's not the only one, but it's a major one. Let me read you a paraphrase I found of Psalm 23, which puts it very well. Listen to this. The TV set is my shepherd. My spiritual growth shall want. It maketh me to sit down and do nothing for his name's sake, because it requireth all my spare time. It restoreth my knowledge of the things of the world, and keepeth me from the study of God's word. Yea, though I live to be one hundred, I shall keep on viewing television as long as it will work. For it is my closest companion, which sound in its picture they comfort me. It keepeth me from doing important things with my family. It fills my head with ideas which differently may set forth in the word of God. Surely no good thing will come out of my life because my television offers me no good time to do the will of God. Thus I will dwell crownless in the house of the Lord forever. It's a bit strong, but it makes the point. A TV can be a good thing, can't it? It can keep us informed. But it can also be a negative thing. Let me give you some facts. According to a recent study, actual or implied sexual intercourse takes place on TV 2.7 times every hour, with 88% of all sex taking place outside of marriage. So here's an idea for how we can take control of our TVs. Limit the time you have it switched on. Turn it off when it begins to offend you, not afterwards. How many of us have said, that was rubbish, after spending 19 minutes watching it? I've done it myself. Maybe it will mean not allowing a TV in your kids' room. Possibly. If you're renting a movie, check it out first on the website. And it is essential for a healthy mind. As the old saying goes, so a thought, reap an action. So an action, 
Leap of habits. So habits, leap of character. So a character, leap a destiny. So what do we do when the TV's dethroned in our home? Where the list is endless. Here are just a few ideas. Go for a walk with a friend or with the kids. Go for a swim, one of the best sports for you. Take up a new hobby. Take a night course. Learn to play a musical instrument. Get to know your neighbours. Have a barbecue. Go for a round of golf with a non-Christian colleague. It's all about watching what you feed on. Proverbs chapter 4 tells us, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And so the first step in thinking rightly is think positively. Secondly, it means to learn purposefully. A couple of weeks ago, I was in St Andrews, and I was de-mob happy. It just means you're really happy. And I was wearing a big black gown, and I had a blue hood on. It was very attractive. It was. Well, I had just finished the last course I will ever do. <laughs> Definitely. Promise. However, in life, we don't stop learning. Is that not true? It is. And that's what Paul is telling us here. To have a healthy mind, he says, it means lifelong learning. Learning from God's Word. And that involves being disciplined. If you look down at verse 9, we read, Whatever you have learned, or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice. Gordon Fee comments on the relation between verses 8 and 9. And here's what it says. These final two sentences need to be held tightly together. Not only because their structural similarity suggests as much, but especially because the truth of the one is to be assessed in light of the other. And notice, there are four verbs here in verse 9. Three down. Learned, received, heard, and seen. And so what is Paul saying? Well, scholars tend to agree on this. The first two verbs and the last two verbs should be grouped together. In the first pair, the first Paul's teaching of God's Word. And the second, to his personal example. And so firstly, Paul says, Fill your mind with the Word of God. C.H. Spurgeon was a famous preacher in the 19th century. And Spurgeon knew the importance of filling your mind with God's Word. And he had a wonderful saying. He said, Read the Bible so that even your blood becomes the blind. The primacy of God's Word. And if we go to the Old Testament, to Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 to 9, we find here the Bible's own testimony to itself. It's page number 556. Let's look at this together. Psalm 19 and verses 7 to 9. Just a few moments.
Think of verse 7, page number 552, Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Okay, so number one, the Bible is perfect, and it can transform your soul. The Hebrew word used here refers to the whole person. Let me continue. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Number two, the Bible is trustworthy. John MacArthur observes, the matters of skill in daily living are all there. It tells about your attitudes, reactions, responses, how to treat people, how you to be treated by people, how to cultivate virtue in your life, Every aspect of living is covered in the pages of the Bible. And verse 8, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Number 3, The Bible is right. And in Hebrew it means, It sets out a right path. And the result is joy. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Number 4, The Bible is radiant. It makes things clear. Even the simplest Christian understands things that scholars just don't know. That isn't me, I don't think. The fear, that noise, that fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Number five, the Bible is pure. And here's a book that is never out of date. And finally, the ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. Number six, the Bible is sure or true. If you recall what Jesus prayed for his followers in John chapter 17, sanctify them by what? By your truth. Your word is truth. And it's in your Bible we find the truth about life, death, God, humankind, right, wrong, heaven, hell, hope, joy, and peace. And that's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, Feed your minds with the Word of God. Memorize it. Read it and read it over again. An old Puritan had a quaint saying. He said, You can't stop a bird landing on your head, but you can't stop it building an estuary. And what it means is this. You cannot stop an impure wrong thought entering your mind, but you can't stop cherishing it. How? By the truth of God's word taking hold of your mind. And to have a healthy mind, it means being disciplined. And it also means being discernible. On Wednesday, London heard some great news. In 2012, the city would host the Olympic Games. And Seth Cohen's team had put together a hugely impressive bid. And they won it. And a challenge they had to face is that London does not yet have an Olympic stadium. However, the Olympic Committee could see beyond that. They could discern what it would be like. How? Because they listened to what the big team said and they watched what they did. And Paul is saying here, emulate those Christians who have disciplined their minds by listening to what they say and by watching what they do. Frank Thielman, in his NIV application commentary, writes, 
The Philippians would have received this teaching by hearing Paul. And they would have learned from his example by seeing how he conducted himself. Thus, they're not simply to ponder the best of the moral standards valued in the culture around them. But they are to follow the distinctively Christian pattern of behaviour they learn from Paul's words and deeds. Having a healthy mind means, pe- means being discernible. People can see it. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen me, Paul says, put it into practice. And that brings us to our final step for having a healthy mind. It means to live practically. One of the joys of moving house last year is that I've had to learn to cut the grass. And we recently bought a new lawnmower. Why? Because I broke the previous one. And it could have happened to anyone, by the way. And thankfully, the new one came with an idiot's guide on how to use it. But here's the thing. No matter how often I read the instruction manual, the grass would still need being cut. You see, I had to put what I learned into practice. And that's what Paul drives home here. He's been saying through these two verses, your mind matters, so make sure you feed it well. And then in verse 9, there is those four key words. Put it into practice. Only four small words, but they have massive implications. You see, it's not enough to simply hear or read the Word of God, or even to know it well. We must put it into practice. And that means being diligent. If you look at the verb used here, it's what we call the present imperative. And it's something which is continuous. Keep putting it into practice, Paul says. There is no standing still in the Christian life. Let me give you just one way, one practical way, how we can apply this. We all know, as a church, we are to be actively engaged in evangelism. But this summer, we have a fantastic evangelistic opportunity during the Edinburgh Festival. And this year, in Charlotte Chapel, we are having three evangelistic performances to reach the unchurched. And it starts on Friday, the 19th of August, with those in Scotland. And the week after, we'll have a performance of C.S. Lewis, The Scrutic Letters, and also Coy Ten Boom, The Hiding Place. And we'll be inviting those to attend to later come to Christianity Explored in the autumn, and also the guest services on a Sunday. And last year, we had a really excellent response of volunteers. And now, I guess I'm going to ask you, we are looking for the same brilliant response again this year. And you'll even get your very own volunteer t-shirt. And if you look in your bulletin, you'll find a flyer telling you more about it. Please do think and pray about being involved this year as a volunteer and who you can bring to these evangelistic events. Put it into practice, Paul says. And when we do, it leads to delight. Verse 9. 
She looked down. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul returns to the theme of peace we find in chapter 4 and verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we heard last Sunday, it's only in Christ Jesus, in his death and resurrection, that we can experience the peace of God. And there is no greater delight in this world than having peace with our Creator. We sometimes sing that hymn, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. But notice, it doesn't end there. Look at verse 9. Delight also comes from knowing the presence of the God of peace with us as individuals and as a church. Alice Mateer comments on this abiding presence. Here's what he says. It is the will of God that by giving attention to things of which he approves, we should shape our minds to be like his. To those who do so, he pledges his guardian peace and his own presence as the God of peace. And it's all to do with what you think. And so in conclusion, having a healthy Christian mind, it means to think positively, to be determined and to be deliberate. It means to learn purposefully, to be disciplined and to be discernible. And it means to live practically, to be diligent. And when we do so, it leads to delight. Because the promise from God is, and the God of peace